Welcome to episode 17 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 29th, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor at GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How's it going, Corey? Hey, Brad. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Doing just fine, just fine. Excited to be back and recording again. It is Sunday, and I always look forward to this day of the week because it's kind of a nice time to get together with my Corey bro. We talk about what we've been doing and uh, <laughs> scrape together some interesting content, hopefully. Uh, more often than not, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, not always. Not always, but more often than not. Uh, so anyway, here we are. As usual, we do like to start the show with a few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game-related. Corey, you want to start us off? Uh, I have probably the most un-game-related banter ever today. Um, I bought pants today for the first time in Whoa. a long time. Whoa, nice. I know, I know. It's like, this is going to sound stupid, but I'm in one of those phases of my life where... Like I'm, I'm very much transitioning into a professional adult, even though I don't feel like a professional adult and I have a job interview next week. So I was like, well, I need to buy some, some pants cause are like slacks or, you know, like, like office pants, not just like jeans. And I'm in that weird space where like, I have like eight pairs of slacks in my closet, but I bought them all like five to eight years ago so they're all like way too small for me or i bought them in the wrong size then and they were like too long and i never got them hemmed or something and i went to target today to pick up to look at pants like you know to kind of dress pants i'm nothing too fancy but just something i could wear to an interview or to an office or you know to like i don't know like the theater if i want to dress up or something and you know, there was a time in my life where I could fit into uh, a jeans that were size 2830. And I'm not that far off anymore because generally I wear a size 3030 in jeans, but that's if the jeans have a little bit of stretch to them. But, um, and I'm sure that if there are any women who listen to this show, they can totally relate to this. Um, men's slacks, in case you don't know, fit a lot different than jeans, at least in my uh, experience they do. So today, I'm trying on slacks and, you know, like khaki pants and stuff at Target. And the size that I had to end up going with, that I bought two pairs of, were size 33 30s. And for anybody listening, maybe if you're in Europe and you don't know American sizes... Um, the men's pant sizes come in two numbers. The first number is the waist and like the waist, uh, like the, how fat you are basically. And then the second one <laughs> is that the length, you know, from like your hip to, you know, your ankle or whatever. And, you know, I used to wear a size 28 in the waist and now I had to buy slacks today that were a size 33. And I know that part of that is because slacks generally fit tighter and don't really have much stretch or much give in them so you kind of have to buy them a little bit bigger but it's still really depressing and i understand how women feel because i it must suck ass to be a woman and have to buy clothes because i mean for the most part when you're a man 
you have your your size shirt and you have your size pants or your size shorts and you can more or less go to any store and just because i wear a small a size small shirt i can go anywhere and pick up a small shirt for the most part and it'll fit just fine but i know with women like you can go to one store and a size small will work and then you go to the next store and you have to get like an xl and that'll work or sometimes you get a size you know six in jeans at this place and then you go to the next store and you need a size like 12 and I mean, it must feel pretty awful and pretty, like, you know, self-esteem degrading. And I feel like I got a tiny bit of a taste of that today because, you know, I used to be younger and fitter and thinner wearing size 28 pants. And now I had to buy 33s today. And it was just not, uh, it didn't feel very good, Brad. Look, dude, don't be, don't be modest. Come on. We all know what's going on here. You had to buy bigger pants because you're so fucking buff, dude. Uh, yeah, right. Got those, like, raging <laughs> hip muscles and them killer thighs, dude. It's okay. I know you don't like to brag, but, you know, just be honest. It's fine. You're ripped. It's fine. It's okay. Uh, a ripped is definitely not the word I would use to describe myself. <laughs> um, I mean, I am not a big boy by any means. I am a pretty small fry, but... Uh, just like the fact that I had to buy jeans like several or pants several sizes bigger than I'm used to today it was kind of lame. But, you know, the plus side is at least I had to buy them for a job interview that I know is happening and I didn't have to just buy them because or, you know, buy them for another reason. So at least I've bought them for something that I'm looking forward to. But still, it was kind of a sad situation. I hear you, man. And I hate to break the news to you, but it's only going to get worse. You know, unless you like hit the gym crazy. You know, I, I have this belt that I've had forever and ever. I mean, I've probably had it since high school. And back in the day, I would cinch it up and I'd have like six holes left in the belt, right? That I would not use. And like the other day, I'm on like the last hole. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> if I if I get any bigger, I need to get a whole new belt. And I'm like, man, this belt has been my best friend for many years. That is a really sad situation, but... Anyway, sorry to hear about the uh, self-esteem uh, destruction at Target. That's That sucks. Hopefully you got a good deal, though. I actually did. That's kind of the plus side. I, I was only going to get one pair of pants, but I ended up getting two because one of them, uh, one of the pairs were on clearance for like 16 bucks. So I, I got two pairs of like work pants and only paid like $52 or something like that, which I thought was a steal. So that was pretty good news. Well, there you go. There you go. At least some good came out of it. Uh as for me, my banter this week, not pant-related. <laughs> um, first off, I guess these are actually both to do with my son, uh, just kind of uh, coincidentally. Uh, we at my house like to read books. We don't read books, like, every night before bed. Like, we enjoy that sometimes. But, I mean, straight up, sometimes I'm so tired by the end of the day, I just don't want to fucking read. So we try to read, like, just whenever I have energy and whenever he's around and in the mood. But we do a lot of reading. And... I try to find stuff that's really interesting. We do a lot of graphic novels and not like grown up graphic novels, but in case people don't know, there are a really wide array of graphic novels aimed at much younger readers where, uh, you know, it's all sorts of stuff. I mean, superhero stuff. There's also fantasy stuff, also real life, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, there's, there's just so much out there, so much more than there was when I was growing up. And I think it's great because the pictures really keep kids interested. And a lot of times they're written at a level where they don't get too bored by, you know, being really wordy or by being too complicated. So we've been getting into a lot of graphic novels. Um, we have a lot of favorites, but I started picking up a new one, not necessarily meant for kids. And I think probably some people might be a little bit horrified, but we started reading Parasite. It's P-A-R-A-S-Y-T-E. It's actually a Japanese uh, manga novel which was recommended to me not for my son, but uh, by a friend of Game Critics. I don't know if she's ever heard the show. Maybe not a friend of the show. Stranger to the show. 
uh, Anne Lee, who used to be a member of Game Critics. Oh, I love Anne Lee. Anne Lee is the best. I love Anne Lee. She's awesome. She knows so much about Japan and Japanese stuff. I've been on her podcast before. She runs a great show. She's uh, totally awesome. If you haven't listened to Anne Lee, check her out. She's at Chick Pixel, uh, the podcast. You can find that. You can find her on Twitter at Apricot Sushi. She's, she's, she's a delight. Uh, she is a delight. But she recommended Parasite to me. What it's about is uh, a guy is at his house and he's sleeping. And then from space, like this parasitic worm comes shooting down out of space and it lands in his house. And it's trying to get inside of his brain to take over his body, but he it fails. There's like a whole, you know, series of circumstances that happen. The worm is um, frustrated and it cannot get into his brain. So it ends up going into his right hand. I think in the J- Japanese, I think it's his left hand, but because when manga gets translated to American, they flip all the panels so that it makes more sense, I guess, or something like that. Um, so it's in his right hand. And so this parasite is kind of like a partner with him now because they need each other to live since it wasn't able to take him over. And so that sounds kind of interesting on its own. Um, it's kind of bloody in some ways because there's other parasites that are set loose on earth and they're all trying to kill each other for some reason. So it's like Highlander, but with parasites. I mean, apparently there can be only one. And so the whole book is about this guy, this human guy trying to learn to live with this parasitic alien that's taken over his right hand and then they also frequently have to fight other parasites who are usually bigger and nastier and more deadly so it's not meant for kids but i feel like it's a pretty good age like the writing is pretty simple pretty straightforward it's pretty easy to understand and him talking to his parasitic hand is pretty funny so we've been really enjoying that i would not recommend it for every kid but if your kid is pretty mature uh not too scared of you know a little bit of blood or likes stuff that's kind of off the beaten path. We've been having a really good time with it. In fact, we liked it so much, I tracked down a a stuffed plush of the actual parasite, and you can put your hand inside of it to make it look like it's on your own hand, which I thought was pretty cool. So my kid's been running around with this parasite in his hand and uh, (laughs) having conversations with himself. Pretty fun. Um, Just one more quick thing to mention. Also on the topic of my son, we, uh, my wife and I went to our storage unit. We have this storage unit where we have a lot of stuff. I'm a big collector and, uh, it's not, not like pack rat hoarder stuff, but you know, back in the day, uh, when I was a single guy or when I was first starting out, you know, every, every guy, well, okay, not everybody, not everybody, but when you, when you leave your house and you have this taste of independence, I think a lot of people get a job for the first time and they very likely don't have a lot of bills, probably don't have child support at that point, probably not paying on a mortgage. So if anybody was like me at that time, like in my early twenties or so, I had a good job and I didn't have a lot of bills. And so I had all this money that I was like, oh, I'm young and I'm free and I can do whatever I want. And I want to buy some stuff that I think is cool. So I ended up buying like a lot of comics and a lot of uh, toys and transformers and stuff that I thought were really fun. And now that we're living in Seattle, I mean, my life has really changed. The available space I have is totally different. I used to be living in a series of houses and now I live in a, an apartment. So we've downsized quite a bit, had to put a lot of that stuff in storage. And the wife and I were like, you know, it's probably time to weed through some of that. Let's get rid of some of the stuff. Maybe we can reduce our storage bill, which I think is probably a good thing. And as we were digging through it, I came across a big box of Transformers. Not the good stuff, because I still like the good stuff. The good stuff is still put aside. But I had a bunch of ones that were kind of junky or that, you know, were meant for playing with or whatever. I think my other son, my older son, had played with them previously. And I just came across them and I'm like, oh my God, these are all in really good shape. And I bet... I bet our youngest son would really love these. And we brought them home and I was like, well, I don't know how this is going to get over, but I'm really glad that I did. Cause it was really cool. It brought him my son, his eyes like totally lit up. He was super excited. It was like Christmas in January. 
he went through all of them and he was like asking me what their names were and like how to transform them. And we're sitting together and he was like doing this little pretend war of like the Autobots on one side, Decepticons on the other. And everybody was like mid transformation. And he had this like action scene going and it was just really fucking cool. So it was nice to be able to share something that I really um, have a love for. I mean, I'm a big Transformers fan. Uh, and to be able to, to share some of that with my son was really, really nice. Um, I mean, I would never let him touch my good stuff because that's my good stuff. But the junky ones we can share and that's a good time. So <laughs> I am also still a collector. That's not going to change. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that was that was good times. So did you did you ever do Transformers, Corey, by any chance or anything like that back in the 80s or, or 90s? Um, I was more into like what, as far as toys go, whenever I was younger, I was into like the little GI Joe guys that you could like, that had like the little rubber band piece in their stomachs that you could kind of pull apart a little bit, like the elastic band. Um, I used to, this is going to make me sound really sick, but I used to, I had like a big like bucket of those cause I would buy, they were so cheap and I would just get like, you know, a pack of like 10 of them at Walmart or whatever. Um, like every few times I went to the store with my parents and I would like act out like horror movies with them and I would like place them around like the stairs, like right inside my entryway in my house. And I would like make one of them have like a hook for a hand and I would have like silly putty and like silly putty, like a little like bungee cord hook to his hand. And he would be like the serial killer. And then they would have to like try to stop him and he would kill them in really gruesome ways. And that probably says a lot about my childhood right there. Um, Maybe. That sounds awesome. I bet you and my son would get along totally fine. You should see some of the scenarios he acts out. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. You know, the other day he comes up to me, he's like, dad, how do you butcher a pig? And we had this really long conversation. So anyway, I'm not going to fill in the rest of that. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's way, that's way more banter than we should probably ever have done. Let's get the banter out of the way. It's time to get into the good stuff, which is our usual weekly conversation about what's going on and what we're playing. However, however, I do want to pause for just a minute here and give a huge spoiler warning. This week, we are going to be discussing Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, and we very likely will spoil probably every damn thing about that game. So we are going to give listeners a big heads up before we get there. Uh, It's not coming up until the end of the show, so please feel free to listen to the vast majority of today's program. Probably about three quarters of the show is spoiler free. And then we will give you a huge warning. And at that point, you can either bail if you don't want to be spoiled or if you've already played the game or you just don't care. Please feel free to keep listening. But we will give you a giant spoiler warning before we get to the spoilers. But on deck tonight, Resident Evil 7, we're going to get to everything in that game. So uh, right now we will resume with the safe content of the show and Corey, um do you want to start us off with tonight's selection of games totally um just to add on to the spoiler thing though before we move on to games uh just so if you're listening to the show you might have already seen this but i will put in the show notes uh for for itunes and android and soundcloud however you uh listen to the show i will put the exact minute we start in on the resident evil 7 spoiler section and i will put the minute we come out of it in case you just can't go to sleep at night without hearing brad and i sign off for the podcast um and you want to just tune back in for that bit i will i'll leave uh, the timestamps in there in case you uh in case you i don't know need to know or something um but uh, that, that sounds excellent. That is a very good idea. I wholeheartedly support that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I will do that. Um, but yeah, let's talk about games. Um, I want to quickly mention I've not played this very much, so I want to talk about it real quick. But I know you've played it a little bit too, so we can discuss it. Um, 
I bought on a recent PSN sale. I feel like every week I'm like, oh, I bought this on a PSN sale because there's seriously like a different PSN sale every single week, which is awesome. Um, I bought Crypt of the Necrodancer on PSN, which a friend of the show, Jason, who, uh, ooh, when did I talk about Jason? Jason, who bought Superhot and let me play it on his computer for the first time, um, he told me about Crypt of the Necrodancer probably like a year ago or so, and uh, and I didn't really play it, but he just told me about it, but I listened to some of the music for it a long time ago, um, and it was on sale on PSN, so I bought it. It was like five bucks or something. Um, Crypt of the Necrodancer, I'm probably going to do a terrible job explaining this, Brad, so I'm going to need to like come back to you to clean up my descriptions for it. Cool, cool. I got you covered. All right, all right. So as far as I know, Crypt of the Necrodancer, is it a roguelike? It is a roguelike, yes. Okay, because I'm like not into roguelikes at all, so I wasn't even sure if that's what this was. Um, it is a roguelike. Um, obviously, I know exactly what I'm talking about here, um, where you play as a young woman who... Uh, like falls into this grave that she's trying to dig and she ends up going down into a crypt, which, you know, hence the name Crypt of the Necrodancer, to fight demons. And it's kind of like a top-down, kind of maybe like a three-quarters view, um, isometric, if you will, uh, dungeon crawler, but it is, as the the other part of the name will suggest, Necrodancer, it is actually a rhythm game, so the music is very fun, and it's very groovy, and you are encouraged to hit the direction buttons to move left, right, up, and down, and the attack buttons on the beats of the songs, and if you keep moving on the correct beats, then the floor starts lighting up like a disco floor, like a, like Saturday Night Fever, and if you like mess up a step, or if you get um, like out of rhythm, you'll lose. You you can build up coins to buy things. You'll lose your little coin multiplier, but you don't like die if you don't step. You know, if you step out of beat or something. But it's basically just a dungeon crawling roguelike where you move to the beat of the songs, and the songs are really groovy, and the music's really fun. And I have like not very much experience with roguelikes or with dungeon crawlers. But I do like some good music in games, so that is kind of what got me into it. But uh, Brad, do you want to clean up anything I said before we move on? No, I think you did a pretty fair job of covering it. I mean, I think the idea of combining a roguelike and a rhythm game is pretty bizarre, and I don't think very many games have ever tried it before Necrodancer. I mean, maybe there's a couple, but I don't think of any, and this is definitely the most famous one by far. You could actually even play this with a dance pad, as a matter of fact. That was originally how it was shown when it first was making the rounds. You can uh, just simply, you know, like a DDR pad or something like that. It's very simple, straightforward controls. And if you can dance uh, to the rhythm, which I absolutely cannot, uh, <laughs> then you can control it that way and get a good cardio workout too. It's a pretty good um, game. I have quite a bit of experience with dungeon crawlers and roguelikes. I'm a big fan of both of those genres. And this one is a pretty good one. There's a lot of cute visual design. I think the music is really excellent. The music is really good. And I'm not somebody who really tends to pay a lot of attention to music. Either it's really great or it's really awful, or I just don't pay attention to it. And most times I just don't notice it. But it is really good in this game, which is great. I mean, because it's a rhythm game, it would be pretty bad if it was if it was poor music. Um, and yeah, and it's really good. There's lots of features. There's lots of different modes. There's a lot of stuff that you can buy that will add to your game to give you a little feeling of progression, which I think is really important in modern roguelikes. I mean, traditionally, that's not a thing that the roguelike genre has had. You know, it's, it's kind of famous for beat it on this one life or go back and lose everything and start over. And, you know, that was okay back in the day, but I think we're all kind of just moved on from that now. And I think that the current trend in roguelikes or rogue 
lights, as some like to call them, is you do have to like start from the beginning every time you die, but you can often earn stuff which is permanent. Like you can earn a better sword, start with that sword the next time so that, you know, even if you don't win, you can at least feel like you made some progress. So Necrodancer has a lot of that, and I think that's great. I really appreciate that about it. Um, the only thing that I will say that I kind of didn't like about it, and, and just to put my cards on the table, I've only played about two hours of it or so. I didn't put a lot of time into it, but it is one of the games that I intend to come back to. Uh, I don't know when that will be, like when I'm in the retirement home with my wife or something and we got nothing but time, maybe, but I did like it. The thing that I don't like about Necrodancer, and this is kind of a weird, weird thing, but when you go into the dungeons, it's like the dungeons are, are randomized and predetermined and you can walk around in the hallways, but you can also dig through walls. And that's something that, that in itself is pretty unusual for roguelikes. Most roguelikes don't let you do that. And so it kind of makes the whole thing feel a little bit messy to me because I can never tell where I'm supposed to be digging or why I'm supposed to be digging. It seems like kind of just random. I mean, maybe there's more to it than I'm picking up, but I really don't like being able to dig into walls because it seems like you can just strike out in any direction and that makes the whole game feel like it lacks structure for me. I like things that are more carefully designed where rooms are a certain size because of reasons or hallways are a certain length because of reasons. Usually it has to do with what enemies are around and like how many moves you can make before you get into trouble. Uh, you know, that that type of stuff is pretty important in a roguelike. And so to be able to dig around and like just knock down walls and go in a weird direction, it, it kind of doesn't sit well with me. I try not to do it, but it seems like the game really wants you to do it. So that's kind of bizarre. I kind of wish they didn't let you do that. And maybe if there's anybody listening who has played the game more than we have, if there's a good reason for it or if there's some huge benefit, I would love to hear it. Please write in and let us know. But uh, that's weird. It seems really weird to me. But other than that, I think it's a great game. I would totally recommend it to anybody who likes roguelikes or anybody who likes rhythm games. I think it's a very neat little package. What did you, I mean, did you, what did you think of it overall, Corey? Are you going to be coming back to it? Or, I mean, did you, did you dig it or what? Uh, dig it because you dig into the walls and the game. Oh, levels. man, I'm so good. I didn't even mean to say that. Like, man, subconscious working overtime. Well, uh, I can say from my experience with it so far that uh, the only benefit I can see to digging is that sometimes you can find secret rooms that have keys that unlock other like shopkeepers or other characters you can play as. But other than that, um, I don't really know what else you dig for. Sometimes you get into bad rooms there where you dig into an area and there's like five bats in the room and then they come out and you have to like rhythmically run away from them or try to fight them. Oh, you know, that's something we should probably mention, too, is like every monster has its own, like, I guess, dance moves or whatever. Like, they move in a certain pattern. Like, a skeleton will be, like, forward, forward, back, forward, forward, back. And so once you know how the enemies move, you can kind of, like, act accordingly. So you know that a dance, the skeleton's going to be dancing a certain way, so you can kind of, like, plan your own on-the-beat moves to kind of get them, like, when they're pausing or something like that. Like, it's it's pretty complicated. It's it's There's more more nuance to it than it seems at first glance, which I thought was also pretty cool. Nice little twist. Indeed. And one thing I also like about it that I didn't even know the game had it whenever I bought it is that it has a local co-op, which I thought was fantastic because Patrick and I actually played it together last night for the first time. Um, I He was like reading or something and I just fired it up to play it and he looked up and he was like, oh, there's a local co-op door and I hadn't even seen it. So he uh, turned his controller on and just spawned in and we went through some dungeons together and we actually made it farther because um, I had tried to do zone one probably like eight or nine times by myself and couldn't do it. And then we did it. We made it through maybe on like the third try, third or fourth try. Um, but it's cool because local co-op, like we talked about a couple shows ago about uh, lovers in a dangerous space time, like local co-op is becoming more and more difficult to find. 
um, and the current generation of gaming and the fact that uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer has that, I think is definitely a big point in its favor because it's fun and you can just play it on the couch with your friend or your wife or your husband or whatever. Oh, that's really cool. You know, now that you mention it, I do recall seeing that. I actually played it on the Vita, so that probably wouldn't have worked at that time, but I think it has cross-save, if I remember correctly. It is does. that you remember? Yeah, it does. Okay, so cool, cross-save. That's I'm glad you said that, because uh, my wife and I uh, always are looking for some co-op games, so maybe we will give that a shot. That sounds good. Because this game, I think, is actually pretty hard as far as roguelikes go. I'm, I'm pretty good at roguelikes, and I noticed that this one was uh, giving me quite a bit of trouble, like more than <laughs> I expected, so I can understand how a second person would be of use for sure. So anyway, recommended, you think? Oh, I totally recommend it. Yeah, I mean, if, and that's coming from someone like me. Mm. I I don't like roguelikes or roguelites. Um, I don't like dungeon crawlers. And I mean, I, I, I guess I'm fine with music games. I don't really have a huge background in them. But the fact that I bought the game and I like it uh, and it's fun is definitely, I recommend it. But also something that's worth noting too is uh, if you have like an iPhone or if you use Apple Music, I don't know if it's on like a Google store or not, but you can actually, the, the whole soundtrack is on iTunes. So you can just go listen to it if you want. And if you think the music sounds groovy, then you can, you know, buy the game and play it along with it. Because um, the music is fun to listen to on its own too. Um, but yeah, I totally, totally recommend it. Right on. Yeah, I would definitely recommend. There's not many soundtracks that I would recommend, but I would recommend this one. I thought it was pretty great. So I think that's a double recommend for Crypt of the Necrodancer, available on PSN, probably not on sale by the time the show goes up, but it's not that expensive in general, and I think it's always on sale on Steam or something. It's it's pretty easy to find, so check it out, check it out. Um, good game. Which brings me to another good game that I would like to talk about, although you may disagree, <laughs> uh, is For Honor, put out by Ubisoft. Uh, this It's not out yet, but Ubisoft just had a beta, closed beta, which you needed a code to access, but apparently they were pretty generous with the codes from what I can tell. It seemed like everybody who wanted one was able to get one. Uh, And I think this is either the second or the third time it's been available as a beta-ish game on PSN. I remember I've played it at least one other time. But release date for the final version is in February, like the middle of February, something like that. So we're a little bit. I think it's Valentine's Day, as a matter of fact. Oh, maybe, maybe. Perfect, perfect offering for Valentine's Day, since all you do is kill a lot of people. Um, But yeah, For Honor, for those who don't know, is... It's a weird kind of mashup. It's basically like a PvP online, kind of like zone control game, where you have teams of four that fight against each other, and the characters are made up of three groups. You have Vikings, Samurai, and, like, Medieval Knights. Uh, There's apparently a story mode which explains why these three groups are coming together. It's something about, I don't know, the world is in disarray and the continents drift and who knows what. I don't know what. I mean, I mean, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, the thing is, all three of those groups are cool and they're all fighting each other. And that's also cool. And that, I mean, what more do you need to know? So I've played this a couple times. Uh, I really like it a lot. The thing that I like is that Each character, I think at the moment there's nine character types. I think there's, no, no, that's wrong. I think there's 12 character types. Four for Vikings, four for Samurai, four for Knights. And each one is, of course, a different class. I mean, you've got your heavy guy, you've got your mid-range guy, you've got your light guy, and then you've got your, I don't know, oddball or whatever. I don't know what the other fourth class is. But they're all very nuanced. They all have a pretty deep skill set that feel very different from each other. And working together as a team is great. The thing that really sets this apart, though, is the combat engine. 
where the game is very... I, d- I do not want to say it's Souls-like, but it is not Souls-like, but it is very dependent on not jabbing your buttons. This is not a button masher. This is a game where you need to very carefully study what your enemy is doing because the game will... It'll split strikes into three different ways. You can strike left, right, or up. And so based on how your enemy is holding their weapon, you need to block. Like if they're hitting high, you need to block high. And then that'll give you a little bit of opening to like do your own strike. And so you're constantly watching the other enemy. And it's very tense because just a couple of really good hits can really disable somebody. And you really want to get in. So if you if you pay close attention and you, you go back and forth, it can be very, very, uh, very strategic, very tense, but also very quick combat. Like I noticed the adrenaline factor is pretty high on this if both people know what they're doing. And it does take a little bit of practice to get used to each class. Like if you're good with one class, I don't think that necessarily carries over to any other class. Um, The characters are not like not super varied. Like they're not night and day different from each other, but like their special moves are different and their, their speeds are different and their reaches are different. So I think that each class does feel significantly uh, like there's a learning curve to each one. So a couple was it yesterday, I think. Everybody that was interested at Game Critics, I think it was, it was me, it was you, Corey, it was a friend of the show, Mike Susky, who's also a Game Critics staff writer, and my wife, uh, Gina, we all got on and we all formed a complete team of four, which was great. I think that was the first time that I've ever had a full team of four. We all had our headsets communicating, worked really well, and we jumped in. Um, I think uh, it was a little bit rough because I had not played in a while, and I think this was the first time for you, right? Yeah, I had I did not play the alpha that came out before. Okay, so it was a little bit rough, but I think we did win. I don't know, maybe half, maybe a little bit less than half, because I'm I'm guessing that the people who had uh, played against us had probably put in more time than we had. But I had a really good time. I think it's really uh, wonderful to like you know be controlling a point and then you know hear somebody say, "Oh, I need some backup," and then you kind of run over and give them some backup. Um, the thing that's really key to know about For Honor is that one on one is really tense. But two-on-one is death. Like, you cannot take two people at the same time. I mean, unless you're, like, some kind of, like, god. And I don't think that most people playing this are going to be that good. So if you ever get double-teamed by somebody, it's pretty much over for you. Like, you know, you can hold off one person, but that other person is going to be, like, stabbing in the back. So you really got to really work with your teammates uh, very closely and pay attention to what's going on and where they're at and give them backup. And they can come give you backup. And it's just just the the moment-to-moment for me is really... um, Excellent. And the other thing that I want to say before I turn it over to you, Corey, is that with this game in particular, I noticed that I'm saying I'm getting double teamed. I say that more often than I say that like in the entire rest of my life. I think I probably said it like 50,000 times. Corey, I'm getting double teamed. Gina, I'm getting double teamed. Mike, Mike. Oh, I'm double teaming him. Oh, we're, like it was just it was, you know, the whole night. Everybody was double teaming everybody. And, you know, in certain circumstances, that might have been OK. But I just noticed that, that that was a phrase that came up often. Anyway. Apart from the double teaming, Corey, how did you find it? Because I suspect that my estimation and your estimation are slightly different. This game, to put it into more simple terms, it's basically Infinity Blade for iOS, but like a full console version. That's my big takeaway from it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because if you haven't played Infinity Blade, it is all about one-on-one fights uh, in like a melee combat situation. And it's all about dodging and um you know matching the your opponent's strikes and um you know hitting their sword away so that you can open them up like doing like a guard break to get in to fight and do a combo it feels a lot like that um brad did a pretty good job of explaining 
uh, basically the systems. The big, big, big thing that you left out, Brad, is that not only do you have, like if you have two teams of four, four on four, there are a shitload of like lesser NPCs in every arena that you go into. So it's almost like Dynasty Warriors meets Infinity Blade because the the lesser enemies are all NPCs. They're not controlled by by anyone, um, any human player. And they all generally die within like one or two hits. So they're not really that big of a deal. But that makes a huge difference whenever you are on the on the battlefield trying to find and or fight a human opponents and there's like 30 like small npc dudes swarming around you that's probably the biggest problem i had with it last night is that i just could not fucking tell what was going on like it's the kind of game where i i don't i don't like it because i'm not good at it which is not really a fault of the game but what kind of is a fault of the game, maybe, is the fact that I don't really feel like playing it anymore to get better at it. Because I, I suck at it. So last night when all four of us were playing, it was just like like I would run into the battlefield and then die in you know, 15 or 20 seconds and then repeat that times like 50. And that was pretty much my experience last night. Um, and, and like I can't, I went in like, you know, having fun, I guess, because um, playing with you guys is always a blast. Like, uh, you know, me and you and Gina played... Uh, all the division together which was totally awesome so i thought you know oh this is gonna be great and you know plus like i love susky so getting to play with him for the first time was great um but whenever we like wrapped our session last night and i turned it off i was in like a really bummed out mood for the rest of the night i was like i was just like wow that was not fun and i don't really ever feel like playing that again um but i and most of it is just because i'm bad at it so it's like you know it's like a i'm totally like a sore loser like i'm a poor sport and i'm a sore loser but i just didn't really have that much fun and i don't really i mean i'd probably jump in with you guys maybe once or maybe two more times or maybe i'd do a little bit of practicing on my own but it's one of those situations where like you know there there's x amount of games out there asking for my attention right now and is it really worth me putting in the extra time and effort in you know ai practice modes to get better to play with you guys like i don't know if it's worth it for me personally you know, that's a really good point. Um, well, a couple things. I mean, first off, I get that you may have felt like you were bad, but I noticed that you killed probably more more people than you realized because when we get to the end of the match totals, you were always pretty high up there. So you might have died a lot, but you were also killing a lot of dudes. So don't sell yourself short, man. You did okay. Um, but, you know, that is a really good point you bring up about um, getting better. And I think that's something that, I mean, I guess grownups like us have to kind of deal with these <laughs> days where... You know, you can only handle so many games at a time. I mean, I kind of touched on this last time when I mentioned, like, I was still playing, um, you know, Yakuza, and I'm still playing Let It Die, and then I play uh, Marvel Puzzle Quest, which kind of has, like, a, you know, kind of a have-to-play-it-every-day kind of component to it. And, like, that already, like, takes up all my free time. So, like, to take on something else, like For Honor, where you probably got to practice. I mean, you probably got to at least get good with one character, like, more than more than practice, but you got to, like, master a character in order to hold your own on a team. I mean, that is a pretty significant time um investment and then you know on top of that like what are all the other games out there i mean it's kind of it's kind of weird because i see a lot of multiplayer games hitting that right now and a lot of games that take a lot of time and i just i really have to wonder how many people are out there that are able to devote that much time i mean for example uh, my wife and i and my son we still play overwatch like you know not all the time not as much as we used to but we still play enough to where we got to keep our skills sharp and uh, we jump back in. And so that takes a certain amount of time. And then if we ever want to play anything new, that takes more time. So I think it's a really valid question where, I mean, do you A, like this game and B, 
if you do, do you have the time to devote to it to get good? And I think this just like, I mean, maybe, maybe other people have more free time than we do, but that is a real valid concern. Um, that said, I am kind of excited to see that it does have a single player mode. I mean, it's probably going to be just like a bunch of, um, skirmishes with bots or something, but at the very least, somebody like me could jump in and say, okay, well, there's like an endpoint in sight where I can devote, you know, I'll play this for 25 levels or whatever it takes to get to the end. And then if I roll some credits, I can feel like I got the experience, even if I don't have the time to like jump into it every night for two hours or every weekend for all day or whatever, you know, maybe I will never be able to compete with those people who are good. And I'm, I'm sure that I never will, but maybe that single player mode will give me a little bit of satisfaction. But yeah, I think time required to invest is, is a big issue in general. Also not to mention that um, single player would be good for, for you or for people like, you know, because getting, getting you and me and your wife and Susky together, like all the time to play is totally not the easiest thing in the world. So having a single player is good for that too. Yeah. I think we actually got lucky because we had a pretty, like an unusually quiet weekend and I don't know what your weekends are like. I know Susky works sometimes. And so, I mean, even just for me and my wife, we like, we fucking live together, dude. And even we can't find the time to play together because, <laughs> you know, we got a kid and I work and she, you know, she's tired from doing stuff during the day and, you know, that's difficult. Then you factor somebody in, you factor in the time zones, you factor in schedules. It's really difficult. So, I mean, that is actually a really, really good concern because just finding the time is ridiculous. I mean, I mean, even with Overwatch, where we had like a lot of friends who were playing it at the same time, just getting like even three people together for Overwatch felt like a miracle. So that is definitely another concern. If you don't have a regular group, that might be another thing to think about before you buy. But um, I know you didn't care for it too much, and I'm sad about that, but I get why you don't like it. I, I liked it a lot, and I know that Gina really liked it, so we're probably going to go for it. Um, I, I think I'm going to maybe not dip in on launch day, but probably pretty soon after uh, for the single player. Are you going you gonna to give us one a pass? Well, depending on what all is going on at the time, I could see myself putting it on my game FlyQ and uh, maybe jumping in with you guys or trying the story mode to see... Um, but I, I definitely will not buy it for sure. But there is like a pretty likely chance that I'll at least have it on my game fly queue to play. Fair enough. Fair enough. We will uh, wrap for honor for now, but I will check back with you when the time comes. I think like uh, like you said, launches sometime around Valentine's Day in February. So I'm sure that we will be talking about this at least one more time. Uh, moving on to the next topic. Ordinarily, I would turn it over to you, Corey, but I know that you've got a really big chunky deep dive to do on resident evil 7 so we're going to hold off on that for just a second i have uh, one more little quickie to do and then we're going to get into things so um people listening you're still fine <laughs> no spoilers yet no spoilers yet um my last game for the evening is a little thing that i like to call punch club dark fist uh before i before i get into this Corey, have you heard of this or have you played it i have no idea what this is okay so a couple, I want to say, okay, not two years ago, but maybe like last year, out of nowhere, I started hearing about Punch Club. Now, me being the game critic that I am, the editor that I am, I'm, I'm pretty plugged into Twitter. There are certain people I listen to, and if certain people say this game is good, XYZ game is good, then that means, okay, that's something I got to listen to. And it's not like it got a resounding, like, you know, ring of approval. I mean, it didn't get a bunch of, uh, like, uh, what is it? accolades or whatever one of those fancy editor words but i did hear quite a bit about it at the time that it launched and i didn't check into it at the time because it was pc only but i'm like well it's probably going to hit console at some point i'll hold off but it was something that that it caught my attention 
So what this is basically is you take a character, a guy, it's predetermined. You cannot make your own character or anything like that. It's just, it's like one guy. He is a fighter. And so you have to take charge of his entire life. Like you tell him to train and training will like increase certain meters. Like he's got like a strength meter, an energy meter, uh, I don't know, happiness meter, speed meter. Uh, like, I don't know, like he's got like 85 jillion meters, uh, because this is a meter game, despite the fact that it's called punch club, despite the fact that it's about fighting, this is all about meters. So you take this guy, you train him certain ways, you take him to the gym, you can do some like, you know, weights, or you can do some track or whatever. And like everything has its own meter associated with it. Later on, you take him to a job. And so you like click the meter for his job meter and he gets like money and then he's got to go to sleep. And so you, you click the sleep meter and he goes to sleep for a while. And like, really, that's what you do. Like, you are not fighting or anything. Like, you're training this guy. Now, ordinarily, that might be okay. It kind of reminds me of something similar to like, I mean, maybe kind of like Pokemon, sort of, except for I think Pokemon is a little bit more action-packed because at least you're making more choices. Or even if you're old enough to remember, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Monster Rancher. Did you ever play Monster Rancher, Corey? I did not. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, yes. Okay, so at least at least you've heard of it. I'm not that old yet. Uh, but Monster Rancher was a game where you had a monster and you took him through a similar training regimen. But in that game, at least when it came to the battles, like you controlled the monster. So that was like the action, the action hook for people who needed some action. But in Punch Club, there there is no action hook. There is no actual hands-on fighting. There is no doing. Like all you're really doing is just clicking on these different meters. Um, you know, he gets hungry. So you got to go to the store and you buy a pizza. Then he eats the pizza and his hunger meter goes down and... You take him to the gym and just keep working. Like, that's all you're doing. You're just, like, taking him on this routine all the day and just increasing these meters. And at some point, uh, he'll go into a fight. Like, the, the game will say, hey, there's some fights coming up. You want to fight? Yes or no? You do the fight. And this is it's kind of like, it's like the worst part of the game. Like, it seems like it should be the best part for something called Punch Club. But you go into a ring, and it's it's just like this little very simple rendering, 2D. You're inside a boxing ring. And then... You don't control anything. You just simply fight and the AI plays out for you based on the stats that you've built up, based on the moves that you've equipped, and you just fucking sit there and watch it. And so the first couple times that I did some fights, I was pretty evenly matched with the opponent and it was like, I'd punch, he'd punch, I'd punch, he'd punch, I'd punch, he'd punch. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, this is, ah, it's so boring. Like it was crazy. Like I was really, really wanting to like, actually take control of my guy and you know that's not possible which i guess is fine enough but there's just no doing in this game like i just i couldn't i couldn't hang with just like tapping meters and tapping meters and watching numbers and it just felt like just constant stat management stat management the game and there just was no real in for me i mean on top of that the graphics are fine i mean they're kind of pixel based very 2d very simple but the writing is pretty horrible i wish there was more writing like in the very beginning <laughs> Uh, it's like, it's like your dad gets killed, but it doesn't quite make sense because there's like a sibling and this, like your dad gets killed, but then your sibling is gone and you don't know where your mom is. And then the next scene, you're like in an alley and some guy's like, I want to steal your motorcycle. And you're like, well, I, d I didn't have a motorcycle. I was a kid five seconds ago. What's going on? And then the next scene is like some guy calling you and saying, get off your ass and do this thing. And I'm like, who are you? And wait, who am I? And what's going on? And I don't get it. And the story has no hooks for me. The tutorial was really poor. Uh, it's a very short tutorial. And by the end of it, I, I still had a lot of questions about what meter did what. 
and, you know, what I was supposed to do, what's the optimal way to train. Like, I was hoping for more of a walkthrough. It's not super complicated, but, you know, if you're sitting there and all you're doing is burning time filling meters, I mean, you at least want to be sure of what you're doing so you're not wasting your time. Uh, you know, I played it for about two hours and uh, maybe not even two hours, probably an hour and a half, maybe. And I was just so fucking bored by the end of it. I just, I deleted it immediately. You can play it on PC. You can play it on 3DS is where I was playing it. And I just, I just totally do not recommend it. Has, has anything at all I've said been of any interest to you at all, Corey? Uh, well, you said the story doesn't have any hooks, but does it have some jabs? Oh God, no, it doesn't even muster jabs. It just sits there and just drools on itself. It doesn't have any, it doesn't have any haymakers or uppercuts. No, no, (laughs) no, there's nothing like that. I appreciate the effort, but no, this game sounds fucking terrible. (laughs) Oh God, it is terrible. And I was really, so, okay. So let me circle back to what I said at the beginning. I was really puzzled because I remembered people talking about this game and I'm like, why the fuck were people really interested in this game? And so I went back and talked to some people and said, Hey, you remember punch club? Why was this popular last year? And it turns out that for whatever reason, people were playing it on Twitch. And so it was getting a lot of audience participation on Twitch where they'd say, you know, it's one of those games like Twitch plays Pokemon or Twitch plays Dark Souls or something where somebody was playing it. And then everybody who was watching could vote on, you know, hey, we want you to do uh, do leg day today. And oh, now do arms and now do pick this move. And so I guess that was the hook. Apparently, it's pretty well suited to being like a Twitch plays kind of a thing. Makes sense to me, but that does not mean the game is fun at all for a single player. I think it's awful to play. It's really boring. So that mystery is solved. Maybe if I had 8,000 people watching me as I played it, it might be more interesting. But it was really fucking boring. So I do not recommend Punch Club. And I'm I'm sorry that I wasted an hour and a half on it. So It sounds like The Sims. Is it like at all like that where you're just like meter managing that's all i could think of when you're talking about it is like the sims like fight club edition you know i can't even answer that because this may really be a surprise to some people i've actually never played the sims ever Aww. so i don't know it, it, it maybe i mean possibly who knows it's i'm not much of a pc guy and so i never really spent any time on the sims but uh it's just it's literally just clicking meters that's all you're doing like i mean i, I just can't say it any more simpler than that like that's all you're doing so no, 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 no punch club. No, no, no. Um, so, yeah, not recommended. Let's move on to Resident Evil 7. This is the long-awaited spoiler warning. This is your spoiler warning. You're about to be spoiled, son. <laughs> don't be spoiled if you don't want to be spoiled. This oh is that spoiler warning I was telling you about. This is it. This is it. So, hopefully you heard the message. You're prepared. If you're still here, thank you for listening. I assume you've already finished the game or you just don't give a shit about spoilers. As some people don't, but if you do, don't listen. Stop. Get out of here. And now, Corey Motley, let's talk about some Resident Evil 7. All right, let's talk about it. I feel like, so I bought this game on Tuesday and started on Tuesday night, and I I feel like I was really fired up and, like, passionate about things I wanted to talk about about this game at the time. But in the time since I've played it, I, I have finished it. And I have written, like I wrote, you and I, for listeners at, at home that don't know, I'm in the middle of writing this like big ass piece about Resident Evil 7 and like a bunch of things that I think about it. And it's going to be up on Game Critics. Probably actually by the time you listen to the show, it'll probably be up on Game Critics. But um, guaranteed, guaranteed it'll be up. Yeah. At this point, I feel like I like don't even know what to say about it because I've like exhausted all of my thoughts into the writing piece that I'm doing about it. Um, so shit, like I don't even know where to start. Where should I start, Brad? Okay. So as, okay. So let me, let me talk about myself here i have not played resident evil 7 people who listen to the show 
you probably have heard me say 10,000 fucking times, I'm not going to play this game because it's too scary. That has <laughs> held true. I have not played it. So, Corey, what I want to hear from you as someone who has not played Resident Evil, just give me really basically, like, what's different about this game? How does it vary from the other games in the series? Um, tell me what's good. And then after that, fucking just let loose. Like, give me all of the shit. Tell me what's wrong with it. So if, what is it basically? How is it different? Okay, well, it is different. The big, 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 big difference is that it is a... It's it's totally in first person. Um, and this is not the first time a Resident Evil has been first person. We had Resident Evil Survivor um, back in the PlayStation 1 era, and we had Resident Evil Dead Aim, which was like a pseudo light gun game uh, in the PlayStation 2 era. But this is the first time a Resident Evil has been first person pretty much since the PlayStation 2 era. Um and it's also a numbered entry. This is like more or less canon, if you will, but it's kind of a reboot. Um, and this this version of Resident Evil is very heavily following on the trend that like PT and Condemned Criminal Origins and Amnesia and Outlast um, kind of uh, kind of started, I guess, where it's first person. It's very slow paced horror. It's about you know sort of claustrophobic environments and like environmental storytelling. And very gross environments, um, which is good. It does all of the thing, all of the things very well. Um, the environments are well done and all that stuff. But it's not. This is not your Resident Evil Five or your Resident Evil Six, where you're, you know, jumping from roof to rooftop to rooftop, firing a machine gun in both hands and throwing grenades every two seconds, and you know, doing a ridiculous boss battles with bosses that are, you know, the size of skyscrapers. This is like totally the exact opposite of that. Um, but. The plot for this game, um, and I didn't know anything going in, basically, because I, I was pretty much on, like, a media blackout for this. So, um, the plot for the game, you play as a gentleman named Ethan. He is totally new to the series. Uh, this game has no... For almost the entire game, it has no connections to any other Resident Evil games. It's very much standalone. You play as a guy named Ethan. The game opens up with... It's all in first person. It's kind of like... Um, like half-life in the sense to where everything is happening through the eyes of Ethan for most of the game. Um, you, <clears throat> the game opens with him staring at his laptop computer and uh, he is watching. It kind of looks like a Google docs thing. It's it kind of looks like a drop folder and there's a video from his wife whose name is Mia and she is on, she did like a, you know, a little clip for him and she's like, Oh, hi Ethan. You know, I'm, I'm out on this babysitting job. I can't wait to come home. Like, you know, this is really lame. You know, sending you lots of kisses, blah, blah, blah. And it looks like she's somewhere nice. Like, it looks like she might be on a boat or something because there's, like, a big sunset behind her. Um, and But she wants to come home. She misses him. And then he seems very upset about something, which, of course, leads you to believe that, you know, everything is not okay with Mia. Another video clip pops up where she is in a very different scenario where she's very panicked. It's kind of Blair Witch-like where she's like up in the camera and she's like, Ethan, you know, uh, I'm in trouble. Do not come after me. If you get this message, stay away. And of course, he does not obey her wishes because if he did, then the game would be over at that point. Um, is there anything you want to say before I move on with my description, Brad? I would like to say, it wouldn't it be cool if you could end the game at that point? There are some <laughs> games that let you have that quick out. Just as kind of a gag or something. That would be kind of cool if he's like, sorry, Mia. And just like closes the laptop and like just credits roll. Like that, yeah. <laughs> that, would, be, that would be kind of cool. Well, technically, maybe that would be like the good ending because you would be doing what she told you to do. She's like, stay away. And he's like, all right. And just goes to sleep. And then the game's over. <laughs> this game's over. So this sounds like an interesting setup. Um, I, 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 okay. So 
I'm wondering then, you said it doesn't connect into the rest of the series for a while. I mean, I'm assuming that for most of the game, you're just playing as Ethan running through scary corridors, getting chased by shit. And it's just like the traditional, uh, like you said, kind of like Outlasty or uh, something like that kind of game, basically. I mean, is there anything that makes it stand apart from those games? Um, not really. I mean, this game really hasn't done anything that we haven't seen in other video games. I mean, everything it does, not everything, but a lot of stuff it does is new to Resident Evil itself, but it's not new to, you know, the first person sort of like hiding from stuff genre, but it does have combat. I want to make that clear because some games like Outlast and Amnesia have no combat at all. But this game, you do have melee weapons, you do have... Um, you do get guns over the course of the game. Um, so, you know, there's there's definitely combat to be had. It's not a game where you have to run and hide every time a monster comes, which I think is good because I don't like games like Outlast and Amnesia where you have to, you can only um, run or hide. I think that's not a good way to do, uh, to do horror games, in my opinion, um, because a lot of tension comes from the fights themselves. But Yeah, I agree. I'm not a big fan of the run and hide games either. It kind of gets fucking annoying after a while. But yeah. All right. So go on. So he goes to she. You know, this is one of the things that weird, weirds me out about the game. She tells him not to come get her, but then she emails him the name of the farm that she is allegedly being like held captive at. Oh, and I forgot to mention this: she's been gone for three years. So there's a three-year period where he thinks that she's gone, and I'm guessing that he must like wake up every day and maybe like watch the clip of her saying that she's babysitting and that she wants to come home to him, you know, to like refresh his memory of her. Or, you know, maybe he's crying or whatever. Um, so the, the game starts out very much like Silent Hill 2, and Silent Hill 2 is my favorite game of all time. And if you haven't played Silent Hill 2, it's almost the exact same thing that happens. You play as a guy named James. His wife, Mary, died um, three years prior to the game starting, but then he gets a letter in the mail that says, um, I want you to come to our special place. And because James is depressed and lonely and sad, he goes back to Silent Hill, which was their special place at the time. So this game initially started out just like Silent Hill 2, which got me really excited, but it pretty much abandons, uh, you know, its connections with Silent Hill 2, like, 20 minutes in, because you get to the farm, and you get up to the house. It's kind of like a plantation house. It's in Louisiana. It's very much inspired by um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I haven't seen True Detective, but I've heard it's inspired by True Detective. Um, it's inspired by Blair Witch, by, you know, a very big number of classic horror movies, Um so you sneak into this, like, a side house in the plantation house, and it's actually the house from the beginning hour demo that's on the PSN. So it's kind of cool because about 15 minutes into the game, you're in familiar territory, but it's not under the same circumstances that you were there in the demo. So it's you kind of don't know what to expect, which sets up a good amount of tension. But he finds Mia, Ethan finds Mia about 20 minutes into the game, which was kind of like let a bunch of wind out of the sails because I thought the game was going to be like all about him trying to get her out and like, you know, find her and then they would kind of escape together. But no, he finds her like 20 minutes in and I was like, wow, that was quick. Um, and instead of them being like happy to see each other or like, you know, they don't like hug or like kiss or even say like, oh, you know, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Like it's been so long. She, like, wakes up and is like, what are you doing here? We need to leave. And it just felt very awkward, like, them meeting up. And then... Yeah, you would think that after three years, there'd be a little bit more of a tender moment or something like that. Or at least, oh, my God, like, what's going on? Or, oh, my, I can't believe you're alive. Or nothing like that? Nothing, nothing I mean, th human there's like that? Like, there's a tiny bit of dialogue where he's like, Mia, you need to tell me what's going on. But it kind of does the video game trophy thing where she's like, oh, I will, you know, just follow me. And then, like... 
she doesn't really explain anything, but before she gets a chance to explain, she gets possessed by, like, a, a thing. Like, she... It turns out that she phases in and out of being possessed by some kind of entity. And this is where, like, we're, like, 25 minutes into the game at this point, and I was, like, rolling my eyes so hard because... She gets possessed by a demon or by something, and she, like, throws Ethan through a door, and he, like, hits the wall, and then he runs down the hallway, and then she throws him through, like, a different wall, and then there's, like, a little hand axe on the floor, and you pick it up, and you start, like, attacking your wife when she's possessed, um, which I, I think the extra- the the circumstances are extraordinary because she is possessed and she attacked him and he's acting in self-defense. But I think there's something to be said for a game that tutorializes its combat by making you beat your wife. Like that just doesn't really seem like the right thing to do. And I mean, I'll say, especially if you've gone for three years, <laughs> even if she's crazy, I think you probably would want to like safely make your way out or pacify her some way. So you're not killing her. I mean, that seems like a really strange choice to make. Yeah. I, uh, and I think that that's one of those things that, I haven't really seen anybody saying anything about, and it might just be like a video game, like, oh yeah, of course, you know, he's acting in self-defense, but she stabs him through the hand with a kitchen knife, and then she runs off, and then she appears again, and she stabs him through the same hand with a screwdriver this time, and then she, like, runs to a staircase, and she pulls a fucking chainsaw out of, like, the stairs on the staircase, and then cuts his left hand off, and he's like, oh, and he like holds his like stumpy arm stump up in the air and it's like gushing blood. And it's very much one of those situations where it's like, like, you know how it's like, oh, you know, getting shot in a video game, you know, doesn't hurt. But it's for real if it happens in a cutscene. Like, it's kind of like the opposite of that because he gets his arm cut off and he doesn't even get hurt. Like, it's just kind of there for the spectacle, like the VR spectacle. And then you run upstairs, you try to find her, you get another fight with her and then uh the the dad of the house his name is jack baker um, he like finds you and punches you and knocks you out after you are led to believe that you have killed your wife in self-defense and then you wake up at the dinner table with the family and somebody staples your hand back to your arm and it like magically works again and i was like so like we're talking this is like 30 minutes into the game and i was like I had gone from being very, very interested in what the story was doing because it seemed based in reality. It seemed very grounded. It seemed real. It seemed like everything that is not Resident Evil, which is good. But like 30 minutes in, it was already so fucking off the rails that I could not get on board with it basically from there on out. The story only gets worse pretty much from there on out. I mean, that sounds kind of crazy. I mean, somebody getting their hand off is usually a pretty big deal in games. I mean, that. I mean, if you're not about to get, like, a laser sword attached to that stump, <laughs> that's usually a pretty, pretty big deal. Uh, to hear that it gets stapled on and then he's fine, that sounds really bizarre. So I'm guessing that the rest of the story, I mean, you don't have to tell us everything about it, but it, it doesn't get any better than that. It never, never pulls out of that nosedive. Uh, not really. I mean... The story, like, it's just, like, not even worth explaining. Like, you're just going around the houses, kind of killing, kind, sort of killing, I guess, even though the bosses tend to come back. Like, one of the Baker family members after another. And then it turns out that the Bakers aren't even, like, the real enemies of the game. Because the the reason why Mia was possessed was because of some girl that she was, like, 
I, I guess Mia's like a secret agent or something. They never like really explain it that well in the game because she's the boat that she was on for the babysitting job. They were transporting some kind of like scientific experiment, like a little girl that they had injected with some kind of virus, which is, you know, very Resident Evil. The whole sure, injecting sure. viruses. Totally. And and the girl gets like psychic powers and she can like vomit up these monsters. And that's why the monsters are everywhere. And it's just so like fucking Resident Evil. And and I like I get that this might not be a big deal to some people because you in the 21 years that Resident Evil has existed, it has never told a good story. It's never even told like an above average story. And this is like no exception. I was for some stupid reason thinking that this game would have a good story and it totally doesn't. And it doesn't. Well, that's, I guess, kind of par for the course, I suppose. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of a Resident Evil story that was the best. I mean, maybe the first one, just because it was new and that was the first time that we had done a lot of those things. And so I thought the scary mansion transferring into the science lab was kind of a neat thing. But, yeah, I mean, since then, I I have to agree. I can't really... Yeah, I'm thinking of all the stupid things the series has done. There's a lot of stupid things I can think of the story's done, but I, I cannot think of any really good things the series has done. But So it sounds like kind of a mess. I mean, it sounds like the gameplay is kind of par for the course for first-person-y horror games, and it sounds like the story is maybe starts off on a good note but ends up as being, you know, the typical kind of embarrassing Resident Evil stuff. Uh, but I guess, does does the game do anything good? Like, I mean, is it is it just cool because it's in... 3d now like in vr or i mean what i mean what what's good about it there's gonna be something good about it right (laughs) well there's definitely good things about it i mean despite the fact that i am you know bitching and moaning to no end about the game i actually do like it and i do recommend it because i feel like a lot of the problems that i have with games like this other people probably won't have those problems and given that i mean i think this game has like something between like an 80 and 90 on metacritic like i obviously am in the minority about the problems i have with it but The gameplay is really good for the most part. I mean, once you get past the first like hour, it really opens up into what feels like a classic Resident Evil game. It's kind of like how like Metroid Prime did 2D Metroid in first person. Like this game kind of does old Resident Evil in first person, but you just have to get past the first like hour or two of like total nonsense because you explore like the farmhouse and there's different you have to, you know, find different keys. Then you have to backtrack to use the keys in different areas there are the item boxes are back where you can store items and you have like a limited inventory space. The game does a mix of auto saving and uh, and manual saving. There's instead of typewriters like old games, there's a little tape player that you manually save on. But it does auto save in certain situations like, you know, before a boss battle or before like a like an encounter that it knows you might die at. It'll auto save, which is really convenient. And a lot of the gameplay is actually pretty good. Like there are several sections in the game where. I was creeping along very slowly, you know, with my pistol out in front of me with, you know, my like five or six bullets that I was clutching to and afraid to use, Um, you know, walking through every door and checking every corner to make sure something wasn't going to jump out at me. And the lighting design is particularly well done because the game does this really amazing thing where you every time you open a door like you, you press the X button to open it. And he never Ethan never throws the whole door open. He just opens it a little bit. And then you have to kind of walk into it and he slowly opens the rest of it, which A, is already scary because you like have to slowly expose yourself to whatever hell is on the other side of the door. But not only that, but the lighting is done in a way where it's very hard to see things, which sounds terrible. 
but it actually kind of works because it makes you like get close to things in order to see them in order to light them up because he has a little flashlight in his shirt pocket and it's just weird because one of the first rooms you walk in in the game like you open the door and even though your flashlight is on like you cannot see anything on the other side of the door and you have to walk completely through the doorway in order for your light to start lighting stuff up in it and so it's just like stuff like that is really well done the sound design is impeccable like it has like always has weird sounds going on where even if nothing is currently attacking you or in the room, you're constantly turning around and looking over your shoulder and aiming your gun because you think something is about to jump out. And it definitely goes against the dead space grain where it, it's because dead space's definition of horror is just locking you in a room and unleashing like 10 monsters on you until you kill all of them. And that's what the game thinks is scary. Um, Resident Evil 7 does not do that, which is good. It's more about atmosphere and about slow pacing and about you know uh, like noises and lighting it's not about throwing a bunch of enemies you at you at once it does that a little bit at the end of the game um but it's more or less paced pretty well it's just like the first hour or two are not that great and the last like two hours are not that great but everything in between is actually like pretty solid in my opinion all right. So I got a couple of questions. If we can go through these kind of rapid fire, just give me a quick response. Cause I got like, as you were talking, I kind of had my brain going out a bunch of real like, quickie little <laughs> factoid info questions for you. So, right. um, I guess first off, how long did it take you to get through? I mean, I assume you were fairly thorough in playing like what, what would you say the ballpark for completion is? Uh, well, the game has an end game counter, which is excellent. Um, I think it was, uh, 12 hours, I think. Okay, that's not crazy. That's not crazy. And you just mentioned the lighting. Is it is it generally very dark in this game? It is. I mean, you can, of course, like, turn the lighting up and kind of cheat it or turn the brightness up. But it's mostly dark. But the areas that are well lit are are well lit. Like, it's not like when your flashlight is up against something, you're still squinting to see it. It's just, like, the initial walking through doors and, like, the depth that you can see things is dark. But... The game itself isn't. Does that make sense? Okay. I think I get you. I think I get you. You also mentioned the puzzles a little bit, and you kind of sort of referenced like it was a little bit like old school Resident Evil. Old school Resident Evil is pretty famous for having like really crazy, arcane, bizarre, jokey puzzles where you need to have a key that's in the shape of a red chess piece, or you need to have some kind of a crest that's got four pieces, and you find the crest, and you put it, you know, all that shit that I think is just ridiculous. I mean, you could probably just <laughs> bust down those doors. Um, is that is that back? Like, do you have those crazy, wacky puzzles, or is it more of, like, a realistic kind of thing? There are a few specific keys. Like, there's, like, a crow key and a snake key that you need for certain rooms. It's never to the extent, because Resident Evil 1 had, like, you needed like six different keys to unlock every door in the mansion. I think in seven, there's only like three and there's one pretty good puzzle sequence. That's more, that's kind of like the movie saw where you're like in kind of like a death trap room and you have to like solve a bunch of stuff within like three different rooms to, to fix it. But other than that, there's not really like, you're not pushing like, metal statues around onto pivoting stones on the ground pushing, like <laughs> yeah. it's none of that bullshit okay um, okay <laughs> i i appreciate that you knew exactly what i was talking about so that kind of shit i'm just like okay that's ridiculous um a couple more questions how many how many jump scares are in this because i fucking hate jump scares and you know everybody knows one of the best jump scares of all time was in the original Resident Evil. I mean, everybody who's played that remembers the dogs jumping the dog in the hallway. The window. Yeah, I mean, that was, like, groundbreaking at the time, and window-breaking as well. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but 
Uh, is that a big thing? Like, is this is this a jump scare game or is it more not not so much a jump scare game? Well, it's kind of both. I mean, it does a really good job of leveraging like suspense where you think something's going to happen and it doesn't with also like because there's definitely jump scares in it. I mean, there is one that I'm not going to spoil that I mean, might end up being the famous one for this game that I like shouted pretty loud in my apartment but i i prefer i've always said that in horror games the only thing scarier than something happening is something not happening and this game does a really good job of that where you're constantly like you know i had cold sweat on my shoulders and on my neck while i'm you know walking around these rooms pointing my gun trying to figure out if something's gonna jump out and the game has a lot of that going on where you're where you think something's going to happen and something doesn't, but then sometimes it does, but it doesn't overdo it like dead space where every time you think something's going to happen, something definitely does happen. Right. Right. Okay. A couple more, two more questions and then we're going to move on real quick, but I got to I got to know, I got to know. So I'm probably never going to play this game or if I do, it's not going to be anytime soon. It'll be with the lights on. (laughs) The wife's going to be cooking in the other room. I'm going to have uh, you know, background, it'll be sunny day outside. Who knows? (laughs) But I am kind of curious. I am kind of curious. Um, you said that this game, for three quarters of it or so, has basically no ties to original Resident Evil. That suggests that the last quarter does. And I know that you said it gets kind of uh, bio-labby or, you know, psychic powers, virus injection. Do any of the old characters from the series make an appearance? Like, is there some kind of, like, really concrete tie to the other games in the series? Are we? Is there any canon connection? One character from an old or from the old series shows up at the very, very end of the game. Okay, so that definitely ties it into the other the other games. And that is like a hardcore for sure. Then, well, I mean, kind of because somebody shows up, but it's not like you don't even get like a like, oh, who do you work for? Blah, blah, blah. He just kind of like shows up and saves you. And then the game's kind of over. So it's not even really like explained he's it actually kind of annoys me that he's there in the first place because i feel like it's just like dumb fan service or maybe they're like leading it into a sequel or to dlc or something because they're supposed to be releasing a bunch of dlc for it um but there is one character but it's not really he it seems like fan service but i'm not really sure okay okay final question final question i was really puzzled and i guess kind of interested that you said that the game starts out by making you think you're going after your wife, uh, like that's going to be the end goal. And then it turns out that in the first 20 minutes, she's possessed and she stabs you and you kill her or you think you kill her at least or whatever. But I guess I'm kind of curious if you think in the game that you've killed your wife after the first 20 minutes, why don't you fucking leave? Like, what is your motivation <laughs> for staying in the house? If I if my whole goal was like, oh, my God, my wife of three years, I haven't seen her. I want to go find her. I go to this creepy ass place in the middle of nowhere and I end up killing her. I think I would probably leave. Like, what the fuck is your motivation for staying? Why do you not leave? Well, it turns out that whenever you think you kill her, the people who kidnapped her, which is the Baker family that lives in the farmhouse, they actually end up kidnapping you. Um, So you're kind of trapped in the house, and it's like a sequence. It's sequences of you trying to get out of the house um, and, like, get out of the property. And there's a woman who calls you named Zoe, And she calls you a few times over the course of the game and tells you that there's like a way to build a serum to save his wife. Um, So that kind of what is what keeps you going. Like you find out that there's a possibility to make a serum that maybe you can save her and then you can, you know, I guess, escape together. So you don't end up actually killing her. The game does a terrible job of like 
making you think you've killed people and then they can't because Jack Baker, the head of the family, um, he he like stalks you through the house at certain points in the game. And he's kind of like Nemesis from Resident Evil 3 where you cannot kill him. And he even straight up tells you that like in the middle of you fighting him, he's like, oh, you know, you you can't kill me, boy, like in his like Southern accent. And and then you have a boss battle where like you think you kill him. And then you have another boss battle with him later where you think you kill him. And then he comes back again later. And it's like so fucking annoying. Um, So the game does a terrible job of like making you think that you've killed people and not. And it seems like it does it like it's kind of playing by its own rules. Like it's like, you know, the little kid on the playground who's like, oh, I have a toy gun. Oh, well, now I have a, a bullet shield. Oh, well, now I have infinity health. Oh, you know, he's like that. Like, <laughs> like the game is like that little kid who just keeps making up his own rules. Like, that's how I feel about the story of it. Oh, that's not good. I mean, one thing for me and, uh, you know, like I said, I haven't played this game, so I don't know how it applies. But whenever I play a game. One thing that I really respect in a game is when it sets up a rule that it follows the rule. So it's, I hate when games kind of go back on that for convenience or for story reasons or whatever. So that's kind of disappointing. But um, I'm, I am curious about this. Like I said, I don't think I'll play it anytime soon. I'm, I'm a little curious because I've played, I think, literally every other game in Resident Evil except for this one. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I kind of lost my flavor for the fear. But sounds like... Uh, some good maybe a lot of not so good like overall would you say this was a good resident evil would you say it's a good game i mean what's your what's your 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 takeaway Corey? it is it is a good resident evil and i think it deserves to be played and i think it's i think it's a definite good entry in the series like it it's it's the best uh, i tentatively want to say it's the best resident evil since four but then again like five and six weren't that great so it's not like you know we're making big strides here um but I mean, I recommend it. Like I said, I I have a lot of problems with it, but I think that the problems I have are problems that other people will not have with the game. Um, I just think it's fucking dumb when your main character gets his hand sawed off, you know, 30 minutes into the game and then they staple it back on and pretend like it never happened. You know, I just feel like the game deserves better writing and a better scenario setup than that. But I can see 80% of Resident Evil players being like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. And just like, letting it roll off their back, I guess. Well, you know, considering the future state of healthcare in America, we may be left with staples for oh, everybody. <laughs> that may be a thing. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, uh, thank you very much for that detailed, detailed breakdown of Resident Evil 7. Uh, horror fans, I guess. I guess check it out. Seems like it's a good enough thing to yeah, check out. definitely. Definitely check it out, for sure. Don't let... Oh. If you're listening to the show and you're on the fence about Resident Evil... Um, don't let any of the crap that I just talked about defer you from playing it, unless the kind of stuff I said is the stuff that you would not like about it, too. I still recommend this game a lot, and I will probably play it a one or two more times in the near future. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um, so we are in the home stretch as far as this episode goes. But before we wrap things up, we did ask our listeners on Twitter for thoughts and feelings on Resident Evil 7. And we have collected some of those comments. We'll read them off to you right now. I will begin. Good friend of the show and listener Louis Fiatro, who is at Louis Phil on Twitter, says, I don't know what I'll think, but I sure look forward to playing it around at the end of the year, probably. So probably sooner than me. The end of the year? That's funny that he already knows that it's January and that he's not going to play it until the end of the year. 
That man is thinking ahead, bro. So I, I respect that. <laughs> uh, well, next up, this is Austin Parkin. Uh, he's at Brood Wars 64 on Twitter. Uh, he says, I really like it. Has a good balance of old and new Resident Evil. My only real complaint is key items take up inventory, which is interesting for me because in old Resident Evil, key items always took up inventory space, which was like part of the hook of the game was having to balance inventory and keys and stuff. So, I mean... I don't know. I guess it's in that sense, it's more like old games. You got to admit, it's kind of bullshit, though, because, you know, I can fit a lot of keys in my pocket, bro, because I have a lot of keys and I can fit a lot of keys in my pocket. But a key does not take up the same amount of space as a shotgun. So, I mean, is this the kind of game where you have like nine squares of inventory and the key takes up one and a shotgun takes up one? Like, is that is that this? Well, not exactly. You start with, I think, 12 inventory spaces and some some items take up one slot and some items take up two like a shotgun takes up two but you get backpacks over the course of the game that increase the amount of things you can hold um so there is definitely a lot of inventory management going on which is very old school resident Evil. i don't really have that big of a problem with but i do think that the key thing the thing that I don't like about the keys is that in old Resident Evil is if you use the key on every door that needed that key, it would ask you if you want to discard it. And this game does not do that. You have to hold on to the key even after you've unlocked all the doors for it, which is kind of dumb. So you can't just choose to just toss it anytime. Like, you can't just drop items? I don't think so. Okay, because that was like in Res- one of the Resident Evils, that was kind of a revolutionary thing where they let you drop items whenever you wanted to. But the downside of that was that sometimes you didn't know you were going to need something and you drop it like three levels back and you'd have to run back and get it, which kind of sucked. So that was kind yeah. of Yeah, yeah, that was Resident um, Evil Zero on GameCube. Yeah, I think you're correct. I think it was Resident Evil. I remember doing one run and it was like basically the length of the entire game because I had dropped something which I thought I was done with. And then I wasn't done with it. And that was really <laughs> shitty. But ironically, uh, the next comment comes from Daniel Weisenberger, uh, good old at GC Danny and one of the mainstays of Game Critics. He says, I don't mind the key items taking up inventory. I just wish I could discard keys when they're done. So maybe the reason you can't is to prevent that Resident Evil, you know, eight mile trek syndrome. So possibly. Anyway, next comment, Corey. Totally. Um, Next up is Tom Roberts. Uh, I do not know how to pronounce his Twitter handle. (laughs) Is it it like at Kriegaf, I guess? Kriegaf. I guess. He's a new commenter. We've not had a comment from him before. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, he says uh, he watched some spoiler parts uh, at Eurogamer at Eurogamer site and decided the game was not for him. It was too disturbing and violent. Ooh, I feel you, Tom. I am right with you. Uh, next comment is from also one of the staffers at Game Critics, Teo Stalnecker. I think that's how I pronounce it. I mean, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Stalnecker? Stalnecker. You know, you see these names all the time on Twitter. You read them. But you never have to say them out loud, and it's really awkward when you do. Teo, please let me know how to pronounce your name. He is at at TeoGC, and he says, Out of all the video games ever made, it was one of them. He is God a damn right it was. Yep. God damn right it was. You tell him, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we have a big, big comment next. This is from Thief of Hearts at Twitter. Um, says... I enjoyed the idea of constant named threats with personalities chasing you with different tactics. But then we get to the salt mines, which uh, is late in the game. Uh, and it's another dumb blast up with zero attention up to the final boss. There should be no more first-person Resident Evil games. All they like to do is have faces pop up right up to you. 
When you get a little girl, give a fake laugh with a bobblehead shake. I was laughing so hard on its cheapness. And Ethan is the worst protagonist in Resident Evil series in the Resident Evil series since Bruce McGivern, who was in Dead Aim, boring. Um, which I agree and disagree with some of this stuff. Ethan is a boring protagonist. He's very much like he's almost a silent protagonist. Um, and you don't know anything about him, which is like, I don't know, good or bad, depending on what you like about video games. Um, I don't really know what he's talking about with the girl with the bobblehead shake. I don't remember that happening in this game. I mean, there's definitely a little girl who laughs sometimes and it's not scary because it's so like stereotypical, like old horror that you've seen a hundred times. But I don't remember the bobblehead shake, but that's probably beside the point. Uh, I don't know, maybe it glitched out or something. He was getting some kind of animation, animation hiccup, who knows. I do want to give Thief major props, though, because uh, I did play Resident Evil Dead Aim, and I can't remember a fucking thing about it. The fact that he was able to <laughs> dig up Bruce McGivern, wow, that dude's recall is amazing. I couldn't even have told you a thing. I mean, I, I, would, I would say there was guns in it, and that's all I would be able to know. So props to Thief for knowing uh, Bruce's name. Um, and uh, let's see, next comment... And also the last comment comes from uh, listener Adam at as realist. He's commented a few times. Thank you, Adam uh, says after playing the demo, I decided it was too intense for me, so I'm skipping it, but I've liked everything I've heard about it going back to basics. So maybe someday right now I want remakes of resident evil two and three and code Veronica. And you know, Adam, you are not alone. Uh, resident evil two, I believe is probably the most requested resident evil game and I'm kind of surprised that they haven't redone it again. I mean, I think it would probably hold up. I mean, I remember liking that one um, a great deal. Uh, I, I'm i sure that if they updated it a little bit, I yeah, think I mean, it was good, right? I'm pretty sure Capcom is making a remake of Resident Evil 2 right now, as a matter of fact. Are they? Have they announced that, or are you just thinking? I like am 99.999% sure. They haven't shown trailers or gameplay, but they've had a couple of really small video updates of just, like, the producer or the developer like staring at a screen being like oh we're making this these are some things we're going to do i don't think they've even said if it's going to be fixed camera again or if it's going to be uh you know third person over the shoulder but i'm like 99 percent sure they're doing a resident evil 2 remake at this point that would be kind of cool because i remembered really liking that one back in the day and i think that was the one where i spent the most time like doing the extra bonus stuff afterwards is that the one that had um hunk and tofu as unlockable characters is that the resident evil 2 yes yeah so okay that was the one that i really went whole hog i mean you could unlock hunk who was um a umbrella special forces agent and he played um a special bonus mode at the end of resident evil 2 that was like really hard he had just like a knife and i think he had just like a gun but like you know he did he did not have like all of the arsenal and so he had different layouts really hard mode and if you beat it with Honk, then you unlocked Tofu, who was a literal stick of tofu. <laughs> and he only had the knife. And I fucking beat it with him, too. Like, I did everything in that game. I really enjoyed it. So I don't know that I would enjoy it again these days. I mean, unless it was, like, really revamped. But I remember having a good time with it. I would I would be excited about that. Although I did not like 3 as much. And I did not like Code Veronica as much. What are your feelings on those, Corey? Um, I... Did not like 3 at all. Resident Evil 2, I think, is my second favorite Resident Evil of all time. Um, I love that game. Resident Evil 3, I thought was terrible. I think it's, like, my next to last, like, least favorite Resident Evil. Um, I like Code Veronica a lot. I thought Code Veronica was really magical. Um, I think that game's excellent. I think it still holds up 
uh, now whenever you go because they have like the the HD version on the Xbox 360, which I played just like a couple of years ago. Um, I love Code Veronica, um, so I would. I mean, I'll take remakes for any of them, but I just don't really like Resident Evil 3 very much. I think it's silly. Interesting, interesting. Quick question for you. So this is something that's always bothered me, and I'm going to ask you since you are as much of a Resident Evil person, probably more so than I am. Um, But Resident Evil 2, that was the game in which there was, um, you know, it's ultimately revealed to be kind of a tyrant, which is like one of the the big mutated bad guys with the big claws. But before before he's revealed as a tyrant, he shows up as like Mr. X. He's like in a trench coat. He gets dropped off by Umbrella. He's chasing you throughout the whole game. And it seems like Nemesis from number three, who's basically the same character, but he looks more deformed and he's a little bit uh, creepier, gets all the credit for being like that pop-up enemy. But I really feel like Tyrant or or Mr. X in number two was the original one. And I kind of liked him better. Between those two, Mr. X and and, uh, Nemesis, which one do you like better, Corey? Mr. X is definitely better. But I think that the big confusion that comes between the two is that... um, uh, Resident Evil 2, the big, like, innovative thing about Resident Evil 2 was the fact that it had, like, almost, like, four campaigns on one disc. And when you mm-hmm. beat, or I should say on two discs, it came on two. But um, when you beat Scenario A, you got to play Scenario B. And Scenario B was almost the same as Scenario A. But Mr. X was not in Scenario A. He was uh, more or less in Scenario B the whole time. Um, and in Scenario B, he would pop up at predetermined points in the game to either, like, come crashing through a wall or, like, to stalk the player or, like, freak them out. Whereas Nemesis and 3 just showed up randomly. It wasn't necessarily predetermined scripted events. You could be walking into any room and there was, like, an X percent chance that he would be there. So I think that was maybe more, like, progressive at the time. But I still think Mr. X is way better. Okay, cool, cool. Just had to get that settled because... Although I do appreciate like what that type of thing adds to the game, like that little bit of randomness or surprise. I just I just always thought Mr. X was way cooler. So anyway, it always bugged me that people like Nemesis more. So fuck Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that is the end of our comments. And I think that's going to be the end of our discussion of Resident Evil. I feel like we did we did that more than justice for sure. Um, and I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all very much for the comments. And as always, we just want to hear even more from you. You can send us your thoughts, feedback, ideas, and anything else you'd like to at So Video Games on Twitter. You can also reach us at So Video Games Podcast at gmail.com. And it's been a good discussion. Really glad we had it and looking forward to doing it again next week. So thank you very much for listening. And for tonight, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>